Hi, this is Dan Corver, uh, pastor here at Dalton Hill Baptist Church. <clears throat> we're a small Baptist church located in Owasso, Oklahoma. We're small enough to know you, but we're big enough to serve you and for you to serve as well. Our vision is to rescue, restore, and return to service. Rescue a non-believer or a believer who has been hurt or is lost. Restoring them to Christ in fellowship with other believers with the desire that they in turn will help others along their way. Standing on a solid rock is a good place to be. Driving yesterday and just happened to look up at a wall that's a rather large wall and the uh, people were building around their house and it's leaning. Part of it's probably 15 feet, almost 20 feet high on part of it. And I think, well, how good a foundation do you think they had? A lot of washing away and, then, and it's built on a slope and anytime you have something like that you really have to, you see that a lot with rock and uh, brick walls, they don't have a good enough foundation. and. Over time, they start falling apart. But again, it's what kind of foundation are we built on? We've uh, been going through a series, we're finishing up basically that of Christ's likeness that came out of Philippians 3. If you remember when Paul made his statement that his goal was to know Christ more intimately and personally and to be like him. And if we're supposed to be followers of Christ, how many of us really is that our goal to be more Christ like? And so if you remember, we said the first part is to be Christ-like. You, uh, first of all, have to come to know Christ. It's hard to be Christ-like if you're not a follower of Christ. But we had one, that, remember the first week was that of, of second week, intimacy with Christ. Do we really want that? I think a lot of times people want Christ at a distance. Don't really want to in, intimately know Him because if we know Him, uh, we'll see how holy He is and we'll see what? Uh, how, how bad we are. Uh, another one, we remember we saw that of the simplicity, just getting rid of, getting rid of things. So often we uh, uh, have so much in our life that really takes up so much of our time that we just need to unclutter some of the things to spend more time with it. We also looked at a little bit about solitude and silence and service. We need to get alone when it's quiet and get rest and then also to listen. How many of us are doing so much talking to the Lord that we never have time to listen to the Lord? We tell Him everything He ought to be doing, and uh, we don't listen. We also think a little bit about surrender. Uh, Christ is the example in Philippians 2 that He obviously surrendered to God's will, and we need to do the same even though it's not what we want. We want, um, like I've said, a friend of ours has always came up with, He always had to, a new idea, you know, it's always, of course, it always was to his benefit when we were taking care of him, uh, friend of the, the, the girls. And then you also, if you remember, we had one of a prayer. I'm going to just pray like Jesus did. We saw that in the book of Luke. He prayed before, he prayed before every major decision, every obstacle, after everything. He was praying all the time. We also have that of service. You think about service, uh, there's service out there, but how many of us are serving for ourselves? We serve so people will look at us instead of serving for that Christ gets the glory. And then that of humility. I've uh, been around a lot of different people. I'll never forget a doctor when he was operated on my on my head, and uh, I still had a knot on my forehead. And, and I went in on the on the annual follow-up visit. And I said, did you get it all? I still have this knot. And I mean, I hadn't even finished it getting out of my mouth. He said, I always get it all. <laughs> okay. He said, that's just residual and it'll go away. Well, that's all he had to say. I mean, you know, but 
think sometimes humility is not something that comes, but it should. And then uh, last week, we looked at self-control. Are we being led by the Spirit? Because, you know, we can't control the tongue uh, or tame the tongue. We can control it, but we can't tame it. And I think it's important for all of us to, the things we don't want to do, we do, and the things we want to do, we don't. In Romans 9, the only way we can do that, we saw that is through the Holy Spirit helping us inside to know what, what to say or when not to say something, and we definitely need His help. And I think what happens, the older you get, I think that sometimes the more we need it because we let things fly a lot more. I noticed a lot, I've worked for a lot of elderly people in my life. When they were younger, they would refrain. When they got older, whatever came to their mind, they let it go. And they didn't really care what people thought. And I think it's important. Tonight, I like to, today I like to think about sacrifice instead of giving over. I, uh, some of you might have remembered the, uh, a man by the name of William Borden. Have you heard of William Borden? He was born in 1887, died in 1913, so if you do the math, he died in 25. He was born to a millionaire who had, his father had made money, was making money in the, they lived in Illinois, but he made the money in the silver mines of Colorado. And uh, his mother came to know Christ, and then he shortly thereafter came to know Christ, uh, recognizing Christ as his Savior who died for him. And he wanted the... Kind of basically growing up then, when he was in high school, and graduated from high school, his parents sent him on a trip. His graduation present was to send him on a trip around the world. That would be kind of an interesting high school trip, wouldn't it, to go around the world on your own when you think of that time frame. Well, while he was out there, he saw just the heathen, uh, heathenism, just non-believers, and what all they were missing and saw, and he felt a real call, I need to do something about it as a teenager. So he went uh, to Yale, and he then also was leading Bible studies at Yale. He graduated from Yale, then he went to Princeton, and he graduated theology from Princeton, and then he was ordained to be a missionary at Moody Bible Church. So you think of his background, that's quite a background. Well, what he had, and he told his dad that he wanted to be in missions, his dad also, which basically he was giving up family fortune. And his father then also turned to him and said, if you do, you know, he thought it was just a fad. But he wrote in his Bible, no reserve. So if I go to missions, I look like I'm giving up. When he then decided to go ahead and his dad saw he was really serious after he graduated and was going to leave, his dad said, if you go and you don't take over the family business, you're cut out of the inheritance, you're cut out, you know, you're cut out of stuff. <coughs> he wrote in his Bible, no retreat. He said he wanted to be a missionary then to the Muslims and the Islam. He said, I need to learn Arabic and I need to learn it, uh, more about Islam. So he went to Cairo. Five months later, he died studying. Died of meningitis. His and mother had just gone over to, to be with him. And this is what he last word he wrote, no regret. And he said, you have to, if you go to Cairo, you have to go off the main streets, and he's in a cemetery, basically in the back, and nobody knows much about it. You think about it, did he give it all? You know, you think about it. Uh, what about in the Alka Indians in 1956? The five men who gave their life, and uh, 
the two widows went back then and led them to Christ. Two of them, uh, Elliot and uh, and Nate, uh, and then Saint did also. And she wrote the book then through the gates of Splendor. And in 1956, they had a pistol. Why did they use the Why didn't they use the pistol? The reason they were chasing them is some in the tribe. A woman was. Basically, a, a man of the tribe was messing around with one of the wives. And then he said it was one of the five men. That's why they went to kill him. Why didn't they shoot the gun? You know their answer? We know where we're going when we die, and we know where they're going when they die. And why Jim Elliott made the statement, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So you're thinking about it. There's a lot about it, sacrifice, but I think so often we think, well, if I give myself to Christ, He's going to send me off to some weird place. Uh, and, you know, there's some that He'll do. But let me ask you the question, are you safer in God's will? In an Islamic country? Or out of His will in America? And I think it's important. So let's think about it on sacrifice. The pattern is in Ephesians chapter 5. And we looked at a few, we saw this a little bit last week, and we looked at several things. And some of it we'll have to. But notice what tells you the pattern in Ephesians 5. If you'll notice in verse 1 and 2. It says, Therefore be imitators, which is where we get our word mimic from. As beloved children, walk in love just as Christ also loved us. He gave himself up for us in offering and a sacrifice to God a fragrant aroma. Notice we're command as we're told to imitate Christ. It's quite a tall order, isn't it? You look at the course. How did Christ do it? He walked in love. For God so loved the world, he did what? Christ came to this world to die for what? But he loved us, and without a sacrifice, you and I wouldn't make it. Notice the choice. He gave himself up. So often people say they took his life. He gave it up. He could have called. He could have done a lot of things. He chose to. And then notice the conclusion was there. It was a fragrant aroma. God accepted it, obviously, as the sacrifice for our sin. That's the pattern that we're supposed to have. That we willingly walk in love and serve people for His glory. Interesting question. Who are we imitating? How many of you ever said you don't imitate anybody? No, I'm my own person. You ever gone back, those that are older now, and look at some of the clothes you wore? And how many of you don't want those pictures to get out anywhere? Your glasses. How many of you have glasses you think, what was I thinking when I had those? Or remember the knit suits? Oh, we have polyester. You remember? You remember? Oh, it was so bad to have cotton. We we're going to have polyester. And those things were so hot. And you just barely touched them. And they'd get a, a thread and pull on it. And it was terrible. But everybody had them because that's what everybody said. Oh, but we don't imitate anybody, do we? Who are we imitating? Music. It's amazing. Every generation has their own group. And we all, why is it we don't like the other one, but we like this one and we go on? It's, it's amazing. The impact that people have. But who are we imitating? Talking to a, a believer at work. 
and he said his wife then accused him this last week or said, man, you're acting, he, he was saying something about his dad, and he said, now my wife's telling me I'm acting just like him. Well, okay, how many of us can have the same thing? Are we imitating Christ, or are we imitating somebody else? So it's a questioning yes. Remember the pattern, you know, sacrifice, I need to be like Christ. Look over then the, I think, the possibility. Look over in Romans chapter 11 and 12. If you know the book of Romans, he goes through and he tells you all the great things that God has done for us. And then he gets to chapter 12, he asks us to do something. But notice in verse 36 of chapter 11 of Romans, the possibility, pardons Christ, the possibility. Verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. How much to bring glory to him? And how much to bring glory to ourselves? That's the possibility then. And notice that's the context. Then notice what he then asks you to in verse 1 of chapter 12. Notice what he says here, the desire. I urge you, or you put on there, I beg you therefore, because of what happened in the previous chapters, by the mercies of God, things God has done in the previous chapters, mercy we don't deserve, to present your bodies a living and holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable spiritual service of worship. Notice the duty that you have. Present your body as a living sacrifice. You look at the Old Testament, all the sacrifices that they had. Did the animal, they said, well, we need a, an animal. Do you think the animal raised his hand? Oh, here, here, me. Oh, choose me, choose me, right? No. Turtle dove didn't. Notice it all had to be one without blemish. Notice it's talking about ourselves. We willingly give ourselves up, but if we're supposed to be holy, then we have to be walking like who? Like Christ. If there's sin in our life, we need to be dealing with it. We confess it. This is choices that we have. It's a possibility. I can make myself a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, and then one that's acceptable. When is it acceptable? You look in the book of Hebrews in chapter 5, chapter 10. He doesn't desire sacrifice, but one who does his will. So what it is, is we want, to, when we're doing things, we're wanting to be do, offering ourselves in what he wants us to do. How many of us are saying, Lord, uh, I'll do this for you, but I won't do this for you. I think for a lot of us, you know, it's easy to say, well, these are the limits. You know, I'll give you one hour a week, God, I'll come to church one hour a week. I'll try to stay away. And then the rest of it's mine. I've had people I've talked to in business, and they tell me this, when they were doing some things that were not ethical. And they said, oh, business is business. You act this way here, and then at church you act this way. No. That is not what we're supposed to do. It should be the same. So you think about it, you notice then it tells you at the end, it's a spiritual service of worship. How can I serve the Lord? When people look at me, do they see a little Christ? Is he acting like Christ? That's a choice I make every day. It's a choice every one of us makes. So notice that the pattern is to be like Christ. The possibility is I can with the Holy Spirit's help. Whether I do or not is another question. But think about it. How do you view your life? How do you view it? Do you view that you own it and every decision is all up to you? Or do you view it that, hey, I'm representing somebody. 
And what do I need to be doing? If we're, we're told we're an ambassador, you're an ambassador of the United States, you can only represent and only say whatever the United States tells you to say. If I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ, I need to be doing the same thing. So here you have the pattern is what? Christ. The possibility is I can be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice if I choose. Most of us are afraid that if I give my life to Christ, He's going to send me places. We need Christians in Owasso, Broken Arrow, everywhere else. Let me think of some different ways, ponder some ways. I've thought of five ways in which we can be uh, basically offer ourselves or sacrifice. Look over in Matthew chapter 6. I know it's a passage that uh, Glenn used quite a bit when he was between the mission field and serving where he is now. One is the personal possessions. Matthew chapter 6 tells you, do not lay, this is verse 19 of Matthew 6, do not lay for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and wrath destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Okay, so I have a choice to do what? I can store up treasures here, or I can store up treasures in heaven. And who makes the choice? I do. I can do whatever I want. Notice then if what it tells you in verse 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I worked with one and every day just about he was checking up on his 401k and what he was doing and if he didn't like one thing he was getting on there and cut me time and he was changing stuff or doing whatever I mean it was just amazing he'd walk in there and he'd be on the computer oh it went up today oh it's going down oh I'm trading and doing nothing but anyway just amazing but what about you and I what about our possessions what we're afraid of is like who allowed me you know we look at our possessions and we said well I earned them Okay, who gave you the mind? Who gave you the ability? Who gave you the help? All those things, God gave it all to us. Now, yes, I did my part. I worked. I did whatever it might be. But I'm a manager of those possessions. That's why it tells you in the end of verse 24, you can't serve two things. He owns it all. I'm just a manager. It doesn't mean you can't own a home. It doesn't mean you can't drive a nice car. It's just, what does God tell you to do? And so I think it's important, one, to be that of possessions. If you remember in Luke 12, if you recall in Luke 12, you remember the rich young ruler when he had all the possessions? And he says, I, what do I do with all this? I'm going to build more barns and get more stuff. And then God said, what? Today, your life will be required of you. And he said, you are not rich towards God. Nothing wrong with having the possessions, but what am I doing with those possessions? So if I'm a steward, there may be a possession that the Lord, that's like we're going to sing in that song. Okay? Do I really need this possession? You know, maybe I do, maybe I don't. So I think one is then personal possessions. You have the same thing if you, you can turn to Luke 14 because it'll, it'll go into the second one besides personal possessions. In uh, Luke 14, you'll notice in uh, verse 33, so therefore, no one who can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. Does it mean you can't own something? No. It just means that you have it, and if the Lord said give it away, what do we do? 
but most of us say, I, I didn't hear that. And I could be wrong, I didn't hear that. Uh, and, you know, majority of the time, he doesn't ask you to do different things, but there can come a time, if this possession is taking the place of God, he could ask you to, or he could take it away. And I think it's interesting when you look at it, the different ones. Uh, just like I said with William Borden, he wasn't at the Borden Milk, but you know he had, you know, we're talking about a millionaire, in 1983 what would that be equivalent to today you think about it tremendous amount so one is personal possessions now how do I view my possessions or am I a steward or am I an owner it's easy for us to say I remember I had one person tell me well you ought to even two weeks ago why didn't you approach those people since they have that much land, why do you ask them to give that land to the church, some land to the church so they could build a building on it? Well, that should be their decision, shouldn't it? It shouldn't be a coercion or anything else. If they choose, they want to. It's their land. If they don't, you know, it's whatever they want to do. I'm not going to ask them anything. That's God's business. That's not my business. But I think it's important. The second one, notice in, in Luke, besides personal possessions, this one's probably harder for most of us. Notice in verse 26. If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father, mother, brother, wife, sister, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Second one is personal relationships. He doesn't mean he literal hate, but what he's referring to is who's number one in your life. The very best example of this that I can think of is in Genesis 22. Abraham waited how long for a son? God gave him Isaac, and then what did God ask him to do in Genesis 22? Sacrifice. Now he stopped him, but you remember he said, I want to see who, who's more important. Is your son more important, or am I more important? And I think it's easy for I think our personal relationships, when it comes to certain family members, kids, grandkids, whatever, how many of us really have a hard time saying, okay, they're yours, Lord. I release them. We just have them for a short period of time. We have a tremendous amount of, uh, we want to protect them, we want to do a lot of different things. But do you think we love them more than God does? God died for them. So I think one is this, our personal possessions. What do we do with our personal possessions? I was just talking to somebody yesterday on the personal possessions and uh, retired both of them. He and his wife were retired and there's a missionary and a young missionary couple with a young one that just come back to them and they needed a car. And he said, well, I gave him my car. We're just going to get by with one. Well, when you're on limited income with Social Security, how are you going to replace a nice car? Well, they needed one, and the Lord just kind of laid on my heart to give it to them. We'll see what happens in the future. Would they, could they have kept both and been right? Yeah, absolutely. But in their case, they felt like those people needed a car, and we can get by with one, and we're going to let them have it at least for now. And when they get on their feet down the road, we may get the car back. But how much would we want them to do that? You know, Jane and I have given away a couple of cars, but ours were clunkers. It's easy to give away clunkers. <laughs> yeah. 
the one we gave away, used a quart of oil every 50 miles. It's pretty easy to give that car away. <laughs> we only had two, now we're down to one, but still, you know, you, you fill it up with oil and check the gas. And so personal possessions is one. Personal relationships is another one. Why don't you go over to uh, Philippians chapter 4. Let's look at the third one. Notice in Philippians 4, Paul is in prison when he writes this. And notice starting down in uh, verse 15 down to 18. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that the first preaching of the gospel after I departed from Macedonia, from Macedonia, which would be from, from Greece, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving with you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. I have received everything in full, have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from, from Aphrodite what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Personal finances. Did Paul ask for the gift? No, they willingly saw Paul had a need, and they sent resources to him on more than one occasion. It's high enough, it's not going to get you. The, uh, think about it. What about a personal finance? Uh, am I a money manager, or am I a money steward? And I understand, especially when you look at our economy or anything else, that some of us are either retired or about to retire. Do I have enough money to make it? Weren't we told to do what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? Just take care of it. So I think it's important for us in the personal finances, just I'm a manager, nothing wrong with the savings account. But we've even talked about this as a church many times in the council. You know, we have the money, we would like to get a building, but do you believe Christ can come back tomorrow? Christ comes back tomorrow, what do we do? Who gets the savings account of Dalton Hill Baptist Church? And then how, how do we want to stand before the Lord and say, we have this much money and we did nothing with it? And so it's very real. You know, we want to, hey, we want it, we want a building, but at the same time, do we really believe he could come back? And are we being a good steward of it? And so, you know, that's something where, you know, we have to ask. There's that fine deal. Yes, you can have one, but at the same time, if there's things that it's his money and we're a manager, if there's needs that come up, then we need to be willing to say what? Let it go. Let that money work for the Lord. Same thing's true in our own life. There's nothing wrong with the savings, nothing wrong with saving for a car or a college or any of that. But I'm a manager and I can't take God's place. And the same thing can happen in our own kids' lives. How many times do I want to relieve them so I'm going to be their financial support? And therefore, anytime they have a need, they turn to who? 
They turn to us instead of turning where? To the Lord. So there's a time we have to be real careful. What do I do with my finances? When do I help? And when do I say no? And I think it's important for us to look at it. I remember hearing, how many of you ever heard of a man by the name of Bruce Porterfield? Probably never heard of him, have you? Those of you who grew up in the church that I grew up with, he was a missionary down, went among the cannibals, he and his buddy, and he came across his buddy a few days later, and they had killed him and were getting ready to eat him. And he then later on led him to Christ. He then wrote a book called Commandos for Christ, a great book I read in high school. Second book was Twice Burned, great books. But I never forget when he came to one of the mission conferences and he made the statement when he said, My son needed something and I had $100 in my pocket and I could help him, but the Lord told me, No, he has to trust me and not trust you. So it doesn't matter where we're at, it happens to every one of us. When am I the answer? When do I say yes? <coughs> I have that hundred dollars, and I was going to go do something with it, but you know I need to give it. And there's another time when that hundred dollars, and oh Lord, it's not time for me to help. It's time for somebody else, or for you, or for them to turn. So that's why I said it's possibilities, but it isn't right for me to tell you what to do. We have to let the Lord tell us. The third one, or the fourth one, I think, look over in Colossians, if you would, just for a moment, just a couple pages over. Colossians chapter 3. So you had personal possessions, you have personal relationships, personal finances. Colossians chapter 3. And you think about it, when you look at it in, in verse 23, what does it tell us? Let's go up to 22 because I think it's important. Slaves in all things obey those who are masters over you. Do not with external service as those merely pleasing men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do the work heartily as to the Lord rather than men, knowing that the Lord will receive the reward of that from the Lord you receive the reward of inheritance. It's the Lord Christ with whom you serve. Personal work. How many people do you know and I think it happens to all of us, but how many of us uh, have uh, personal, you, you're at work, and whenever the boss comes by, what happens with some of the workers? Oh, they start working, and oh, they, I mean, they look, it looks great, you know, his boss is here. Or when there's a meeting, they speak up, and they make themselves look really good. But notice it says that we need to do our work as if who's watching? Is he watching part of the time? He's watching all the time. So you stop and think about a sacrifice because how many times do you think, and I've had one at work repeatedly, uh, names the name of Christ, but he basically doesn't work that hard. He says, they don't pay me enough. If they paid me more money, then I would work harder. Okay? That's not what it tells you. We're told to work how hard? Whether we're making a dollar or we're making 50, the work should still be the same. Because we're working for the Lord. And I think it's important for all of us when we do the work, what kind of work, but in Matthew 5 and verse 16 it says, let your light so shine before men. And what does it say? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Your Father who's in heaven. 
How many of us are doing good work at work, but we're doing it for what reason? We're doing it for money or we're doing it so people can see us. Uh, I think it happens a lot. Uh, we do things where people see it and we got our name stamped on it or we do whatever, but it's for our glory. Who are we doing the work for? And then the last one is in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. So when we ponder personal possessions, we have personal relationships, personal finances. We also have our personal work that we do. But if you notice down in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter, and coming to him as their living stone, called by Christ, rejected by men by choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, from our living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Notice what it tells you. For what reason? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Your spiritual ministry, your personal ministry. How many of us are supposed to have spiritual sacrifices? All of us. We're all part of a building, and we all have a sacrifice within that building with which to offer. And how you know? How do you reveal what gifts you have and what you're doing? You know, how important is it, or what we're doing, for anything? You know? <clears throat> how many of you ever flown before? Have you? Do you care more about the pilot, or do you care more about Colleen and the mechanics that worked on that plane? <laughs> you know, but okay. Well, you know who who gets the credit? The pilot. But you better have that plane, and they better check it beforehand, and they know what's going on. And that's one reason why when we fly, we like to make sure what airline we're flying with. You don't just get on one, a foreign one, without a very good reputation. Why? <coughs> okay? Yep. So think about it when we look at it. Remember, he offered his life for us. We're being a steward. Everything we have. How many of us know how long we're going to have? We don't know. So are we going to be faithful to him with what he's done? Every day, how can I serve you? We'd love for you to come and visit with us and fellowship with us. We're located at 8263 North Owasso Expressway, which is on the east side of Highway 169 North, between 76th and 86th Street North. We have coffee and fellowship from 8.30 to 9 Sundays, followed by Sunday school for all ages from 9 to 9.45, and our Sunday morning worship service is from 10 to 11. We likewise have a Wednesday night service for all ages from 7 to 8. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, and in every way the Lord be with you all the time.